This is Commission Vice President Hoshiko Hasegawa convening the regular meeting of September 12, 2023. The time is 10.29 a.m. and 43 seconds. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle Headquarters Building Commission Chambers as well as virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Coffins-Feldman and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioner Cho will be joining the meeting later this morning. We will now recess into the executive session to discuss two items regarding litigation or potential litigation or legal risk for RCW 42.30.1101i for approximately 45 minutes and will reconvene in public session at 12 noon. Commissioners Mohammed and Cho are recused from participating in the second discussion. Thank you. Thank you. We are in recess. This is Commission Vice President Toshiko Hasegawa reconvening the regular meeting of this, uh, September 12, 2023. The time is 12.07 p.m. We're meeting in person today at the Port of Seattle headquarters building at the Commission Chambers. Clerk Hart, uh, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance. Thank you, Commission Vice President. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins, joining us virtually. Here, and just so you're aware, Commissioner Hasegawa is really faint on the audio. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Commissioner Cho will be joining us here shortly. Commissioner Fellman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. And Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. We do have a quorum here today. Thank you, Clerk Hart. A few housekeeping items before we get before we begin. For everyone in the meeting room, please do turn off your cell phones or turn them on to silent. For anyone participating via Microsoft Teams, pretty please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you're a member of the commission or the executive director participating virtually or you are a member of staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak and will turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers and any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized to speak to the chair and to wait to speak until you've been recognized. You'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All of the items noted here will ensure a smooth meeting. Thank you. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method so it's clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We're meeting today on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish peoples with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcasted by King County Television. Now please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Good afternoon. Thank you so much, and I apologize for being a little late. Um, thank you, Vice President Hazegawa, for subbing in for a second there. 
The first item of today's business is approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item from the consent agenda. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting opposing comments later in the meeting once we, have, once we get to the consent agenda. Please wait until the motion to approve the consent agenda uh, is on the floor for these comments, if any. However, it is appropriate this time if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item to request the item be pulled for a separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any motions to re rearrange the order of the day? All right, seeing none, the commissioners, the question is now approval on the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Second. Great. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to approval of the agenda as presented? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as presented. We do not have any special orders scheduled for today, so we will go on to our next item on the agenda, which is the Executive Director's Report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. I hope that you all had the opportunity to enjoy the, the recess in the Labor Day holiday and were able to recharge for the upcoming uh, full-on sprint towards the end of the year. Seems already here we are in uh, um, the second week of uh, September. I'd like to express my deep appreciation and gratitude for all the staff that worked during this busy travel period to keep our gateways open and operating. Uh, before I give some updates, I'd like to acknowledge that yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th attacks on our nation. <clears throat> For all of us, it's an opportunity to reflect, and that day is burned into the memories of all of us. And for myself, I'd just like to take a moment to reflect on that day uh, because I found myself uh, I was serving in the U.S. Coast Guard at the time I was uh, uh, assigned as Captain of the Port in San Diego. And on September 11th, I was actually in Washington, D.C. at FAA headquarters. Uh, that morning. Uh, I remember hearing the announcement and canceling the conference I was at and heading into the lobby where the uh, uh, television uh, portrayed the events happening. Walking outside on the National Mall, I could see the smoke rising in the distance and later learned that was from the Pentagon, the attacks going on at the Pentagon. Uh, that week was a lot of chaos as the things unfolded there and I was uh, I needed to get back to the uh, West Coast, and I subsequently I remember flying back cross country later that week in the back of a C-130 uh, back to my uh, back to my command in San Diego, realizing that everything was about to change in the world of safety and security of those that do that. And for me, the uh, anniversary of 9/11 every year is an opportunity to recognize those first responders and civilian heroes that took action to protect others on that fateful day that ran into uh, danger instead of away with many making the ultimate sacrifice, as we know. Um, and it's also an opportunity to reflect on the fact that we have made ourselves more resilient as a port and as a nation than we were in the past, and that we're better prepared to anticipate risks and threats uh, to us across the board. And I think uh, here at the port, that is something we take very seriously. And then a way to honor the sacrifice of the heroes who lost their lives on that day is to be better prepared and to stay vigilant in all that we do. Here at the port, especially our first responders on our fire and police departments, continue to keep focus on safety and security of everyone who uses our facilities and transportation systems. So that what happened 22 years ago is continue, as it continues to touch our daily lives, and that we are reminded never, never to forget. 
um, that day and what it means for us and our responsibilities to safely operate our uh, safely and securely operate our facilities so thank you for that opportunity to talk about that uh, speaking of first responders I'm pleased to highlight two great stories related to the Port of Seattle Police Department first our SEA cares program which coordinates a non-law enforcement response to people experiencing homelessness or crisis at SEA was featured in airport improvement magazine uh, in particular, the, the article highlights the amazing work of Victoria Rosetta-Seva and Officer Michelle Brinkle, who lead that effort. Between May 2021 and April 2023, the duo tallied 494 airport encounters, 239 of which were with individuals experiencing homelessness. No arrests were made in 204 of the 239 encounters, and 159 of the people involved accepted some type of assistance or referral from SEA CARES. Uh, this article also highlighted the importance of partnerships, including with King County Mobile Crisis Team and other social service agencies to facilitate connections to resources for people experiencing homelessness. Second, our uh, Port of Seattle Police Department continues to do amazing work to coordinate relief efforts in response to the devastating fires on Maui. So far, more than 14,600 pounds of donated relief supplies have been transported to the residents and first responders of Maui in just three weeks. Their work continues and their list of partner agencies continues to grow. Special kudos to Sergeant uh, Tony Kelahui for creating this amazing achievement. And a huge thank you to everyone involved in these much needed and deeply appreciated efforts. Speaking of Hawaii, I also wanted to highlight that the Port of Seattle Commissioner Fred Fellman represented the port in welcoming the Huke, the, the Hoke, uh, Ho, Hokalea. Sorry, thank you, Commissioner. Hokalea and its crew to Pier 62 in the Bell Harbor Marina last month. Over 400 people attended uh, the event in person, and many more were tuning in, in back in Hawaii and across the world. The Suquamish and Muckleshoot tribes, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander community members in the port and city of Seattle officials welcomed the vessel and her crew. The Tribal Nations Protocol opened the way for a flotilla of outrigger paddling canoes, the city's fireboat, and other vessels that gave the Hokulea and her crew a, captiva a captivating water welcome. Uh, the event was a, uh, a momentous opportunity to amplify the voices of Native people across the Pacific and here at home. And on behalf of the Vol Polynesian Voyaging Society Master Navigator and CEO, Nainoa um, Thompson helped spread awareness on how we can save the ocean, work through kindness, work through kindness and compassion, and share and protect natural resources responsibility. Oh, great, they have the, uh, the photo there to show that. Thank you to the many port staff who supported the event, including Nate Caminos, Rosie Courtney, and Daryl Dare. Commissioners, thank you for joining me and the Port uh, Maritime staff outside the building right before today's commission meeting to see some of the examples of how we're transitioning our port vehicles to low and zero emission technologies. We're very pleased to display not only electric cars and trucks, but also the brand new electric skiff that has been developed as an innovation partnership between marine maintenance and the fishermen's terminal staff. Even more exciting, the skiff was designed and built by companies participating in the Maritime Blue Innovation Accelerator that the port is a funder of. And I had a great view. I can't wait. I'd like to ride around on a boat myself. I hear it has great acceleration, and all the vehicles have uh, great torque at the, at the low end, so, which is exciting to drive electric vehicle. 
um, uh, in, and to see them in action. And the use of this new technology will inform future maritime electrification efforts and projects as we go forward. And thank you, uh, to commissioners, for all your, your support in electrification of these vehicles, particularly the, uh, the skiff, getting the skiff into operation. And, uh, and thank you to all the staff to whom who helped uh, make today's showcase happen. I just wish I had more time to spend with them because there was a lot to talk about. Each one wanted to talk about their own vehicle and their own uh, vessel and doing that, so I hope to spend more time with them. And lastly, before I highlight items on today's agenda, I'd like to share that the final Labor Day holiday air traffic numbers are in, and it appears that we're only 2% short of the 2019 based levels based on TSA security checkpoint data. While we've not reached 219 levels yet, the trend suggests that travel and passenger volumes are rebounding uh, very quickly, which is good news for us in the regional economy. Speaking of COVID recovery, I hope that you've all seen the news that Lufthansa is officially launching its service from SEA to Munich. Originally announced before the pandemic, the start of this new direct international connection is yet to another, to another city in Germany is yet another sign of the robust, robust air travel rebound. And then moving on to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight just a couple items. Under new business today, we'll act on two items that have been in the works for a very, very long time and are finally coming for your approval thanks to the hard work of the port staff. First, we will finally approve proceeding with the design agreement for the West Waterway in partnership with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which is a significant milestone for our effort to modernize Terminal 5. Specifically, this project will result in deepening the waterway to 57 feet to better accommodate larger container vessels. Second, we will move forward with improving the T-91 bike path specifically removing the overpass bridge that serves as a major choke point for cyclists and pedestrians coming from North Seattle toward the Seattle waterfront and vice versa. It will be a great day when bikers no longer have to ignore the <laughs> it's written this way the, 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 the bicyclists will no longer have to ignore the please dismount and walk your bike. Uh, I'm sure everybody does dismount and walk their bike. Signs currently posted on either side of the bridge. And finally, you'll receive a briefing on our post-International uh, Rivals Facility airline realignment, which will better situate our airline tenants throughout the airport. And I'll have more to say about each of these when they come before you. Commissioners, this uh, uh, concludes my remarks. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you for those updates, Steve. Um, we are now on to committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide the updates. Good afternoon, President Cho, Commissioners, and Executive Director Metric. I have two committee reports for you today. On September 7th, Commissioner Mohammed convened the audit committee um, with Commissioner Cho and public member Sarah Holmstrom in attendance. The committee approved two motions, one to approve the last set of meeting minutes and one to approve the 2024 proposed internal audit budget. The committee also received the entrance audit opening from the Office of the Washington State Auditor, which is the 2022 accountability audit of the port. The auditor's office will share the specific areas of review upon completing their planning procedures. In addition, open issues for the internal audit department were overviewed, as was the status of the 2023 audit plan, two performance audit reports, and one limited contract compliance audit report were shared with the committee members with management teams providing their responses to the audits. Three informational technology audits were later presented in non-public session due to the security-sensitive nature of the items. The next audit committee meeting will be held in December. On uh, July 26, 
The Highline Forum met with Commissioner Fellman chairing the meeting and they received several updates. Highline Forum received an update from meeting site host Highline School District Superintendent Dr. Evan Doran who spoke to the school district's commitment to culture of belonging, innovative learning, bilingual and bilateral learning, and helping students become future ready. Presenters from the Port Trade and Development Alliance, ANU, and the City of Burien spoke to their workforce development program offering. Forum members were very impressed with the many offering and spoke to the need to find better ways to consolidate all workforce development information and share it with the public. Aviation Director Lance Little provided the start update from the June 28th meeting, which included a presentation by then Commercial Aviation Coordinating Commission Chair and Federal Policy um, Update and the progress being made on including start priorities in the upcoming 2023 FAA reauthorization bill. As part of the round of as part of the round the table sharing, Commissioner Fellman shared the ports of share the Port Commission's adoption of the 2023-10 on land stewardship and the Commission's recent adoption of the authorization for the sound insulation phase two apartment program. This concludes my report. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Erica, for those updates. Any questions from commissioners regarding committees? All right, seeing none, we will move on. We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, let's review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Clark Hart, please play the recorded rules. As noted, public comment is an important part of the public process, and the Port of Seattle Commission thanks you for joining us. The Commission accepts in-person, virtual, and written public comment regarding matters related to the conduct of port business. Before we proceed, here are the Commission's public comment rules of procedure for your information. Each commenter will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two minute period for each speaker. The Commission reserves the right to receive comments specifically related to the conduct of port business. If comments are not related to the conduct of port business, the presiding officer will stop the speaker and ask that comments be kept to matters related to the conduct of port business. This rule applies to both introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body and not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language. Obscene language and gestures. Refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment. Leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment provided speakers may author written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off by the presiding officer and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting room may occur as provided in the commission's bylaws. 
Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually, as well as from anyone who has joined us today here in the meeting room. When your name is called, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself, then please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of Fort Business. You may turn on your camera at this time. The two minute timer will then begin. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. When you have concluded your remarks, you may again turn off your camera and mute your speaker. If you are speaking from the meeting room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record, and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. Our public comment period will now commence. Thank you again for joining us today. Awesome, thank you so much. As a reminder, please uh, make sure you state your full name and the topic related to port business for the record. Our first speaker today in person will be Alex Zimroon. Alex, please state your full name and your topic related to port business, and then we'll start the clock. because we have a war with Iranian Muslim and Russian terrorists. A many insider in Seattle, in King Country, support them. So need to be very careful about this. In this situation, I have a small proposition, what is, I think, absolutely important for keep this situation in quiet. I demand impeach Commissioner Cho, because he's, for my understanding, acting like a criminal is my opinion in impeachment can be very important because we have a people who totally deserve this because they stopping people like me for example and another people who have different opinion makes this trick you know what is mean in totally stopping us situation very critical because we need stopping this because democratic party mafia mafiosi, democratic mafiosi, doing this in every meeting, you know what this means. I have a dozen and dozen trespasses, you know what this means, only because I have different opinion. So right now I think it's very important impeach Commissioner Cho, so we really need to understand what has happened right now. We impeach a president, why we cannot impeach a commissioner, you know what this means. What is I thinking for many times? interrupt me without absolutely reason, you know what this means. To me it looks like a hate crime. So right now I speak to everybody who listen to me. Stand up America, we need stopping democratic mafia who control us for last 30 years. Thank you very much. Thank you Alex, I'm flattered. Our next speaker is uh, virtual, Vicki Clark. Vicki, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, Great. can you hear me okay? Excellent. If you could state your full name and your topic, and then we'll start the clock. 
Sure, my name is Vicky Clark. I'm speaking on behalf of Cascade Bicycle Club and commenting today on item 10E T91 trail bridge removal and widening. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today, Commissioners. Uh, Cascade Bicycle Club advocates for the needs of people who want to or need to bike all across the state of Washington and especially here in Seattle. Uh, my comment uh, specifically, thank you. Um, we're really excited to see the plans to remove the T91 trail bridge on the Elliott Bay Trail. Uh, the bridge is a challenging pinch point, as mentioned earlier, um, but rather dwell on its shortcomings. I'd rather focus on what removing the bridge and widening the trail means. A safer, more consistent and comfortable ride or stroll. Since the project was announced, I've heard great excitement from people who bike about how this will improve their biking experience. I think this is going to be a big improvement to the biking community in Seattle. Um, and with the improvements further south on Alaska Way and along the Waterfront Trail, removing this pinch point from the bike network will have ripple effects on access to, to, access to and experience of the trail. Uh, I want to thank you all for your work advancing this project, um, both staff and commission. Um, one note, I think you know, give, given the month-long construction window, we really look forward to seeing the plans for a safe and convenient detour um, around the trail bridge um, while it's under construction for people who rely on the trail today to get around. Again, thank you for your time. Have a good afternoon. Excellent. <clears throat> thank you so much for uh, providing your testimony, Vicki. Next on our list is in person, Sandy Olson. And the remaining testifiers are all in person. So my name is Sandy Olson, Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Carnival, Australia, uh, Carnival Corporation, and I'm uh, speaking about cruising. So thank you, Commissioners, for the opportunity to comment today, and may I also recognise Mr Metric and Port staff for their leadership and hard work. Uh, we are proud of our long-standing relationship with the Port of Seattle with four of our cruise lines, Holland America Line, Princess Cruises, Seabourn and Carnival Cruise Line, sailing from the city or calling at this port. We're very much part of the fabric of Seattle. We're established as Holland America Line West Tours in 1983, with West Tours in Seattle way before that date. And today we've got more than 750 team members living and working in Seattle to support our operations. I wanted to reflect on Carnival Corporation's shared leadership with the Port of Seattle on sustainability, but particularly using shore power as a great example of that. So together, we've helped pioneer this technology almost 20 years ago, and it is now accepted around the world as an important technology to reduce emissions. Only last week in Hamburg, our industry body, CLEAR, reported that 32 ports worldwide have at least one cruise berth with plug-in capability. And impressively, two of those berths are right here uh, in Seattle at Terminal 19, te Terminal 91, where all of our ships home port uh, the seat during the season. We installed shore power at the former cruise berth T30 almost 20 years ago. At the time, it was the second enabled berth in the world after Juneau, which was also pioneered by our cruise line Princess Cruises. And just two years later, we invested in electrifying a second berth at T91 for Holland America Line. So 20 years ago, it was a truly novel way to begin reducing emissions and benefiting local communities, and it remains so today. 
We're proud of the impact our shore power collaboration with the port has also made on the local business community, including providing uh, a catalyst for a homegrown success story in the local firm Watts Marine, uh, who's now recognised as a global leader in this field. So in conclusion, we look forward to continued collaboration with the port on projects such as the Green Corridor, of which we are both first movers, and commend the Commission for establishing the Maritime Innovation Centre to develop the next generation of sustainability technology. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, next on our list of um, speakers is Renee. Good afternoon. My name is Renee Limoges Reeve, and I serve as Vice President for Government and Community Relations for Cruise Lines International Association, or a global trade association focused on, on cruising. And we represent more than 50 cruise lines, more than 250 ships, and 30 million cruisers who visit over a thousand ports every year. While I'm based in Alaska, I'm lucky enough to have this entire Pacific Northwest as my region, and I'm, I'm privileged to be here to provide public testimony today. I want to thank the members of the Port Commission who have joined us on board member cruise lines this season. For those of you that haven't had the opportunity, we're happy to work with you and the Port staff um, to make that happen. We appreciate your willingness to learn about the technologies that put the cruise industry at the forefront of sustainability in the maritime sector. Our data continues to show the tremendous progress that our industry is making. For example, cruise lines have committed to not discharging untreated sewage anywhere in the world during normal operations. Across the CLIA cruise line member fleet, 202 ships representing 80% of the global passenger capacity are equipped with advanced wastewater treatment systems. These systems operate to a higher standard than shoreside treatment plants in many coastal cities. All CLIA member cruise line new build ships are specified for advanced wastewater treatment systems, which will bring the total to 242 ships representing 80% of the fleet and 84% of global capacity. These and other facts about cruise sustainability can be found in CLIA's recently released Environmental Technologies and Practices Report, which I shared with each of you via email last week. Please feel free to reach out with me to me with any questions about that or concerns you may have. CLIA remains committed to our partnership with the port and the greater Seattle area, and thank you for letting me be here today. Excellent. Thank you so much, Renee. And then lastly, our uh, last speaker of the day is Glenn Stockwell. Hello, Commissioner. My name is Glenn Stockwell. I'm from Eastern Washington. I've met with uh, Commissioner Cho on February 7th, 2018. We were talking about the subject I'm here to talk to you about today. I've been on the subject, I've spent a lifetime on it. This is about bringing in Franklin Delano Roosevelt's complete Columbia Basin project. Uh, I'm for the total completion of it. This book I gave to Gary Locke years ago, and you'll see it also in, on my web with uh, Maria Cantwell, and I'm holding the book. This explains how to, how to fund the project. It uh, also talks about how we can help uh, Social Security by using this project as a test case. And I would also like to include my friend, uh, Senator Bob Hasegawas. Uh, uh, he wants to put in a banking system. I'd like to see how we could do that. Uh, 
He's been at this for 13, 14 years. <laughs> I hold the record, I've been there longer. But anyway, uh, I put together, just so you know, I put together very large projects before. I was in business with a man that went around to 50 different countries putting in canal projects. I understand what it is I'm talking about, okay? The other thing is, is that years ago when Seattle and King County got into it, they needed a solid waste uh, landfill. I'm the person that gave the landfill to them. And so I've been at this for a lot of years. And so I'm going to tell you that uh, I've taken this uh, to two governors, or three governors, uh, uh, Gary Locke, uh, Christine Gregoire and also Jay Inslee. And out of the three, Christine really worked the hardest on it, in my opinion. And my, my proposal has made it to uh, two presidents, and uh, I started this in 1986, so I really don't care if, if aliens don't come in and put the project, and I, I would agree with that. Thanks, Glenn. Your time is up, I'm sorry. Okay. Hope to see you back here, though. Thank you very much for your yep. time. It's good to see you. All right, that actually concludes our sign-ups for today. Is there anyone else present on the team's call or present in the room today who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please state and spell your name and state the topic related to the conduct of poor business you wish to speak about for the record. All right, seeing none, at this time, I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of written comments received. Thank you, Mr. Commission President. We have received written comments today from both Mr. Stockwell and Mr. Zimmerman, and these have been distributed to you prior to the meeting. Actually, let me correct that. Mr. Zimmerman gave me his comment prior to this meeting, so we will get that distributed as soon as the meeting concludes. Um, that concludes our written comments received today. Great. Thank you so much. Um, hearing no further public testimony, we'll move on to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, 8F, and 8G. So moved. Seconded. Great. The motion was made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called for approval of the consent agenda. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The, uh, the motion passes. All right. Moving along on the agenda here, we have three new business items today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record. Executive Director Metric will then introduce the item. Thank you, Mr. Commission President. Items 10A and B are both number not used, so we'll begin with uh, item number 10C today. This is order number 2023-13, an order establishing the Airport Workforce Conditions Committee as a Port of Seattle Commission Ad Hoc Committee. Commissioners, more than 20,000 people work at or around Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, making it one of the largest job sites in the state of Washington. The port relies deeply on the ability of our partners, vendors, and tenants to be able to recruit and retain a high-quality workforce in order for our airport to operate successfully and efficiently. Today's order will increase commission oversight over some of the policy issues that are key to that goal. 
and I look forward to working uh, closely with you in the future through this committee once it's established. So with that, I'd like to turn over to presenter Erica Chung. There, there you are, Erica, and uh, strategic advisor to the commission office to present Erica. Good afternoon again, uh, President Cho, commissioners and executive director. It is thanks to the leadership and vision of Commissioner Hasegawa that I'm here before you to present the order formalizing the creation of the airport workforce conditions ad hoc committee. SeaTac International Airport workers are a critical component to the operation of the airport. SCA is one of the largest job sites in King County with more than 250 different employers operating on site and offer many quality jobs for workers in our region with a variety of backgrounds and skill set. During the, uh, during the Worker Recruitment Retention Roundtable convened by commissioners on May 23, 2023, they heard comments from SCA business partners, labor representatives, and workers who shared some barriers to recruitment and retention, including improved access to childcare and healthcare for SCA workers. By establishing an ad hoc committee, commissioners will have the opportunity to more deeply explore the barriers to recruitment and retention. Commissioners Hasegawa and Mohammed will serve on the ad hoc committee. The committee will offer oversight, information, advice, and recommendation about port efforts to support SCA workers as part of our mission to advance economic development and in fulfillment of the port century agenda goals. The committee will prioritize initiatives that are currently underway and not under the purview of standing committees, including exploration of affordable and accessible childcare for SCA workers, establishment of a port-wide third-party code of conduct that outlines a port's expectation for its vendors related to topics like respectable worksite, civil rights, and combating human trafficking. Provision for the free hygiene products, uh, provision for free hygiene products to SCA workers, travelers, and visitors, and advocacy for affordable, accessible healthcare options for non-port workers at SCA, both through direct engagement with employers as well as advocacy at the state and federal level. This concludes my presentation. Great. Um, are there any questions for staff at this time from commissioners? All right. Uh, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? We'll do discussion after the motion and a second. So moved. Second. All right. The motion was made and seconded. Um, I'll give the floor to Commissioner Hazagawa first. Thank you, President Cho. Um, I could not be more excited about the establishment of this ad hoc committee. And um, I think I first and foremost need to acknowledge the history of work that has gone into um, so many of these different items because um, a lot of it is just is not new. We've been hearing from members of the public at large. We've been hearing from airport community members. Uh, we've been hearing from airport workers. We've been hearing from the labor unions about um, about the workforce conditions, what it means to the workers, and what it means for the Port of Seattle as a competitive employer. And, um, and after robust civic engagement, after robust conversations internally among staff, uh, with a culmination of some really hard thought work by a lot of different parties, uh, I think there's a lot of political will and a lot of momentum to make some great progress on a plethora of issues. Um, I would also like to acknowledge uh, Erica Cho, who presented the item today for street, for bringing together so many different pieces. I'm sorry, Erica Chung. We are family, but you know, not blood <laughs> But I like that. 
um, for bringing together so many different pieces for us to be able to consider consider in a linear fashion as a as a body today. Um, and actually, in a lot of the thought processes that um, that I had with Commissioner Mohammed, who um, who cares all all my colleagues care deeply about all of these items, but. Um, it was with Commissioner Mohammed where I was on, on a phone call and said, I wish there was just more structure around these different issues so that we could make linear progress on all of them. And she said, there's a common theme here, and how about we do an ad hoc committee? Um, and so um, that I think that acknowledgement is really crucial here. I am so excited to, um, to put forth this order and to be joined on this ad hoc committee uh, with Commissioner Mohammed to be able to provide oversight, advice, and guidance, and be able to receive timely, regular updates on these separate bodies of work, including um, the establishment of accessible childcare at SeaTac Airport, including making fem uh, 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 making uh, hygiene products available uh, for free to workers and travelers and visitors at SCA Airport. Uh, including ensuring that we have a third-party code of conduct when it comes to things of the way vendors are treating workers um, and um, and also the advocacy for affordable health care for all workers at SeaTac Airport uh, there are different places where this work has lived on like aviation and through workforce to equity and workforce development um, so I appreciate that both of those departments are going to be coming together to support the work of this ad hoc committee. Um, and I'm so, so pleased that we're just going to hit the ground running and we're going to convene for the first time later on this month. Thank you all so much to my colleagues for the thought and the questions and the input that you um, put into this order getting to it over the finish line today. Uh, it, the finish line is really just a new starting point. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mohammed. Um, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to supporting this order as well today. Um, we had held a, uh, a roundtable meeting earlier this year with a lot of the um, airport workers, union representatives, and other folks, and they shared a lot of concerns. And you know, as commissioners who all have also full-time jobs, it is really difficult to track all of the different things. And I, I think the ad hoc committees give us an opportunity to focus and track some of um, what is happening and for us to have an avenue to see the progress that's being made and for us to give policy recommendations and so forth to staff members. Um, thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa, for your leadership. You worked on this really hard and followed followed up, followed through with it, and, and I just, I, I wanna uh, thank you for spearheading that and, and bringing it across the finish line. I am uh, really excited about the affordable and accessible childcare opportunity, the possibility of that at SEA. We're seeing a lot of airports around the country moving in that direction today, so I think there is a lot of opportunities for that. We know that childcare facilities are limited in our state right now. Um, the, the commission amended its legislative agenda this year to include um, increasing uh, included House Bill 1199, which addressed some of those barriers um, for certain child care providers, reducing burdens um, on those uh, 
critical service workers. And so I, and that bill actually passed. So that was really great. Um, and so I think this, this builds on, on that momentum. It allows um, our workers at the airport and across the board to know that we prioritize these, these types of things. And um, now we have a platform to follow through on that and, and see what comes out of it. So um, yeah, I look forward to supporting this. And again, thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa, for your, your leadership. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Uh, Commissioner Fallon. I would just like to lend my support. And the, the amazing thing that I saw with during COVID especially was everybody understood childcare was an important issue. But during COVID, it just made it so incredibly apparent that this was key to our economic recovery, and especially women of color were particularly hard hit, which had trickle down effects throughout our region. So clearly, if there's something we can do at the airport where the 24-7 operation makes that challenge even greater, I fully support that effort. So thank you for introducing it. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Feldman. Commissioner Calkins, any comments? All right, hearing none. Um, oh, so, sorry, just, Sam. Uh, just, just to say, I'm fully supportive. You know, my perspective on this has been informed, I think, by participation on the Aviation Committee, where we always have a full agenda, and we tried, I think, often to kind of shoehorn in other very important topics that were. Uh, closely enough related to the airport that it made sense, but it just, um, we could never quite get to everything. And so I really appreciate uh, that Commissioners Hasegal and Mohammed have taken this initiative to, to add even more work to their own plates. And uh, I'm grateful that they're willing to carry this burden and I look forward to the results. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. And let me just conclude uh, also uh, and close this up by thanking you, Commissioner Hazegawa and, and Mohammed, for your leadership on this. Um, you know, I think that some of the issues that are being covered by this ad hoc committee are crucial to us. We, we often talk about the future of work, uh, a post-pandemic reality. And I think that a lot of the topics that are entailed in this new uh, ad hoc committee will cover a lot of those. Um, and, and I really look forward to seeing uh, that oversight, the advice, and the guidelines that you, you, you develop through this work. Um, I also really appreciate it because I think it really puts us on the forefront as a public agency. And um, as you all know, we like to be set an example for our, part, our agencies across the state and, quite frankly, across the country. And so um, looking forward to uh, what you all conjure up. I know it's going to be good um, and not easy, <laughs> but um, very much looking forward to it. Uh, so I want to thank you one last time. So with that, Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say our name when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Hasekawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Muhammad. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Chow. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes and zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Yes. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director will then introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 10D, authorization for the executive director to execute a design agreement and all other documents associated with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for the pre-construction engineering and design phase of the West Waterway Channel Deepening Project and to authorize the pre-construction engineering and design phase of the West Waterway Channel Deepening Project, including execution of outside services contracts and service directives in an estimated amount of $4 million and a total authorized project amount of $5,650,000.
Commissioners, this action is a significant milestone for our efforts to modernize our gateway at Terminal 5 to accommodate larger container ships and to enhance the global competitiveness of the Northwest Seaport Alliance. This project will deepen the West Waterway to 57 feet, reducing operational delays currently experienced by ships that have to wait for the tide before unloading. As part of this action, the port will conduct sediment characterization to determine whether dredged material will be suitable for open water disposal. I want to thank the many staff, staff and partners that have worked very hard for many years to get us to this point and share my appreciation for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for their collaboration. The Corps is, is the lead agency to perform the work and the port participates in the project as a, sponsor, as a local sponsor by contributing funding and staff time. We expect design to be complete in 2026. And we have uh, presenters this afternoon are Stephanie John Stebbins, Managing Director of Maritime Division, and Arthur Kim, Capital Project uh, Manager for and Waterfront Project Management Team. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Stephanie, first. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. And I, I just want to reiterate the importance of this for the overall health of our harbor and, and really you know the essence of what I think a public port is here for is to make our harbor accessible for commerce and the vessels that deliver that. This is a really important part of making our harbor ready for the ships that are carrying cargo today and the, we've just spent a lot of uh, resources making Terminal 5 big ship ready and this is a really important partner to that and part of what the home port does really to support the Northwest Seaport Alliance and make sure our harbor is ready. So I, I do strongly urge you to, to support the agreements necessary to move forward with design. We're in the early stages yet, super complicated project. I'm gonna turn over to Arthur Kim, who is our project manager in charge of this, but I also want to comment that uh, Sarah Auger is in the audience in case there's environmental questions that are, that are, that are difficult. So uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Arthur. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners, the exec executive director of Metric and commission staff. Thank you very much for the opportunity to present the West Waterway Deepening Project today. Again, my name is Arthur Kim. I'm a capital project manager with the Waterfront Project Management Team. Next slide, please. Today, we are requesting commission authorization for the executive director to execute a design agreement and all associated documents with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for the pre-construction engineering and design phase of the West Waterway Deepening Project, and also number two, authorize the pre-construction engineering and design phase of the West Waterway Channel Deepening Project, including execution of outside services, contracts, and service agreements for an estimated port total cost of $4 million, with the total uh, authorized amount for the project to be $5,650,000. Uh, to kind of quickly summarize those two, the first one is would be an agreement with the Army Corps that we would have to sign. And the second request is for the funding to help support that design agreement. Next slide, please. This map right here shows Harbor Island right in the middle with T18. The West Waterway is on the left side there that actually is gonna be supporting Terminal 5. Next slide, please. This one is a little bit more detailed area of the Federal Navigation Channel that the West Waterway Deepening Project will affect. You can see within the black box there, the red and blue areas showing where the full federal channel that's gonna be deepened for this project. Uh, the red areas, some of the highest points are actually at minus 37 feet. This project's goal is to go to minus 57 feet. <clears throat> and you can see some of the dimensions here and the size and the birth, or the 
the depth of how large the area, the deepening channel will be. Next slide, please. Give a little more background. In 2014, managing members approved the joint feasibility study with the Army Corps to deepen that channel for the east and west waterways. In 2017, that feasibility report was completed. In 2018, Congress actually authorized the deepening of the channel to minus 57 feet. In 2020, uh, U.S. Army Corps received funding for pre-construction engineering and design for the West Waterway, but there was a little bit of a delay within the processes, and then the U.S. Army Corps estimates about 700,000 cubic yards will be dredged for this overall project, and they have re-engaged us earlier this year to continue on with this project, and that's why we're presenting here today. Next slide, please. A little more detail about the Army Corps of Engineers partnership. The design agreement that we are asking for authorization today commits the Port of Seattle as non-federal sponsors to share 50% of the design costs with cash or work in kind. The Army Corps will manage the PED phase, which is the engineering design phase, including environmental permitting, engineering, and lead overall design. The port will be responsible for the sediment characterization, geotechnical engineering, and participation in ship, ship simulations. That bundle right there is considered the work in kind. Mm. Payment will be made up to, of the difference between the work in kind and the 50-50 split in case the work in kind does not reach 50% of the total design cost. Some of the port costs will not be eligible for the work in kind credit though. Next slide, please. I'd like to discuss why we need to deepen the West Waterway. Seattle Harbor is a major gateway for regional and national exports and imports. If we don't deepen, we could potentially lose market share to other ports, especially on the West Coast. Container ships are increasing in size every year, and we need deeper navigation channels or risk-causing operational delays. Without the deepening right now, we have to wait, the largest ships would have to wait for the highest tide to either come in and out of the federal channel. We also have currently the ter Terminal 5 berth modernization project. It is currently deepening the berth for the largest ships, but our federal channels are not ready for those larger ships at currently. Next slide, please. This graphic kind of shows you a little more in depth of the importance of deepening channel. As I mentioned earlier, some of our highest points in the federal channel are minus 37 feet. That is actually not even large enough to safely navigate the 5,000 TEU ships currently. Next slide, please. This is a basic schedule of the design that we are working with the Army Corps of Engineers. Today I'm asking for the authorization to get enter the design agreement. We will actually execute the design agreement upon approval today on this week, and so we want to get the design kicked off immediately with the Army Corps of Engineers. <clears throat> so we will start the design in the Q4 of this year, and also we will procure a working kind consultant who will handle the three bundles that I mentioned before. Um, we expect to have that in Q2 of next year kicking off. And then design is expected to take approximately 30 months, and so we anticipate Q3 of 2026 for the completion of design. Next slide, please. On this one, we had the budgets and authorizations. We did have previous authorizations. $150,000 was of executive authorization in preparation for today's meeting. 
as well as we had an expense project for, through the Alliance for the Feasibility Study, which was $1.5 million. Today we're asking for another $4 million to complete through to, through to design for a total ask of $550,000. <clears> the original estimate of back in 2017 anticipates the rest of the cost at $23 million and $850,000. But that was, again, that was an estimate from 2017 and will need to be revised upon the execution of the design agreement. Next slide, please. Here on the cone of certainty, we have the feasibility study done. And so we are just past the planning stage, but we have not yet hit the design phase yet. So you can see on the red arrow, arrow where we have placed it on the graphic. Next slide, please. In conclusion, we have an authorization request. Total amount of this request is for $4 million. Our next steps are gonna to be to ex execute the design agreement and associated documents. We will begin design with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and then we will advertise and award a project-specific service agreement for our portion of the working kind in the design process. Next slide, please. I'd like to welcome any questions at this time, and thank you very much for giving me your time today. Great, thank you so much. Uh, are there any questions for staff at this time from commissioners? Yes, Commissioner Feldman. Thank you very much for that important question. And of course, if we're gonna have uh, marine terminals, they have to be functional. So it's amazing though, it takes what a year and a half to design something, no less to construct it. It is a major undertaking. Maybe I under, even underestimated that. Um, a, a couple of questions though. One, I see the, the Seaport Alliance has a share in this. Is that because in that graphic on, that there's a little bit of the birth deepening associated with the channel deepening as shown in figure, not numbered, oh, four. Is that the case? It's part of that hatched That section. is correct. There is a small sliver of that crosshatch area that is within the, this project as well as the birth deepening or the birth T5. But the, the reason that they paid for some is just in, in the way the charter was set up, the home ports paid for the feasibility study, but the, I'm sorry, the NWSA paid for the feasibility study, but the home ports pay from there on out. It's just what we agreed to as we started so then, the alliance. Because I, I know the alliance is involved with the dredging of the birth, right? So, so this is actually not dredging, but designed for the, for the channel? Is that what we're, right now we're only talking about design, so. The so channel, correct. For, for its channel design and due to the vagaries of the allocation, it just, the Seaport Alliance takes a million and a half or whatever of that. They, they, they did the feasibility study portion. Yeah. And All from right. there on out, the home ports pay. That's how and, it's, oh, yes. thank you for that clarification. So, yeah. and then when we look at the, um, because this area has been dredged before, um, so, are, are the blue areas um, like native soils? Is that, are we down to the bottom there in terms of? So all those types of information will be coming out in the sediment characterization studies and that's why we need the authorization today. But um, uh, so I, unfortunately I can't be ready to answer that question for you at this moment, but. Okay, so, so but this isn't the first go around in dredging this terminal. Um, I'm almost, you know, for but, sure. But the, this is, we're focused on the channel here, not the terminal. Correct. I'm sorry, I misspoke. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I just seem to recall, though, that 
anyway, it is interesting how there's this great disparity from in front of the terminal to the entry area, which is where most of the dredging has to occur. So I, I'm just concerned that that's the area where we're going to see likely higher mm -hmm. pollution levels, and that when we're just in a design phase right now, the actual real expense is going to be how hot those sediments are going to be for upland disposal, whereas I would expect where it's deeper, it's been dredged before, and likely cleaner. And so it looks like we have a large area of undredged material, so uh, fear fearful of perhaps what the overall, and we have Lockheed, right, was up at that corner. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's just a flag for that cone of uncertainty. Um, but anyway, I think that, that uh, covers my. Yeah, that's a great point, Commissioner. Great, Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I just had a quick question about the portion of the funds that we're uh, required to pay. Are, are we going after any federal dollars for our portion? Does this qualify for the harbor maintenance tax? So when I last spoke with uh, the harbor maintenance tax folks, that was for, um, they informed me it was for maintenance dredging only, not for channel deepening. And so this project would not qualify for HMT. How about other federal dollars? So the federal government will be paying for half of this project already, and I think whether we um, could get different funding for the other half, you know, I know when I go shopping, I can only use one coupon sometimes, so I, I don't know if we are eligible. I try to use two sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think every everything that we can possibly get, we will be looking for, but my understanding is that that 50% would be our limit, but I will follow up on that to confirm that we've left no stone unturned. That's right. I mean, yeah, there's a lot you. of federal dollars right now. Yes. We're in a very unique place, and I think we should go after yes, any dollars. Mm-hmm. Good stewards of those public dollars. <laughs> the local ones. We'll be yes, sure to add that to agenda points for our meetings. And I know you said with, with the dredging, it's, you won't know exactly how things will look until the project actually goes underway. But do you have any idea when the next time something like this will come in front of us, where additional dredging will be required? Or will we get those estimates after the fact? I'm so curious. My understanding is that we would get the estimates uh, for how much, I mean, we've been very, I know Arthur and the team have been very conservative in terms of estimating how much will um, require upland disposal of the sediments. And we will do those estimates and then we would come back here before construction was authorized so you would see those numbers before we actually got into construction. Thank you. Thank you for those answers. Great. Any other questions? Commissioner Calkins, any questions for this item? None on this one. Thank you. Great. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Great. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasekawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Muhammad. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, everyone. All right. Moving on in the agenda. Um, let's see here. I can go ahead and read the next item into yes, the record. Yes, go ahead, please. And then Executive Director will uh, introduce it. 
Thank you. This is agenda item 10E, authorization for the executive director to proceed with design and construction for the T91 trail bridge removal and segment widening in the requested amount of $1,475,000 and a total estimated project cost of $1,525,000. Commissioners, although this uh, requested, <coughs> the requested amount for this item is within my delegated authority, we decided to bring this item forward for consideration in public session due to both commission and community interest in the item. As a cyclist myself, I've experienced riding along the T91 trail bridge and I've seen firsthand the congestion and pinch points at the site that we're uh, addressing. Removing the trail bridge and widening the segment will provide benefits to both cyclists and pedestrians alike and serve as an excellent complement to other efforts happening along the Seattle waterfront. This project has long been discussed and it's very exciting to see it finally coming to, to uh, fruition. And we have presenters today, our Kara Lease, Director of Real Estate Development in Economic Development, and Stefan Nguyen, uh, Capital Project Manager, Waterfront Project Management. So, Kara. Thank you, Director Metric, and thank you, Commissioners. Um, Stefan and I are happy to bring this small but mighty project for your approval today. A little context before Stefan gets into the particulars. Um, we have heard from, in fact, many of our directors who commute to Pier 69 through this trail, but certainly from members of the public for decades, the impinged areas in this um, part of the trail are a real safety hazard and we take safety very seriously here at the Port of Seattle so our main design objective um, is really to improve safety people don't dismount people hurtle down this uh, bridge and uh, hit pedestrians we even had some of this happen to us when we were doing site investigation we have a critical partner in this area it's BNSF railway the pinch points are there in part in large part because of operational interests they have in the area. So we'll be working and coordinating with them as we move forward on this design. Um, we anticipated the public interest and we will work with our comms team as we move forward on our design to just show what's going on and to work on the rerouting that will be needed for construction. We understand how important that is for, for the period of our construction. So with all of that, I will turn it over to Stefan to talk about the particulars, and I'll be here for additional questions. Thank you for your interest. Great. Thank you, Kira. Good afternoon, commissioners, director metric, and staff. Um, I'm excited to be here uh, to present this request, uh, both as a daily user of this uh, trail as my bike commute to work, um, and now to be able to be here as a steward of the trail. So thank you. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, today's request to commission is for full project authorization uh, for the executive director to execute an IDIQ design service directive, advertise, award, and execute a major works construction contract, and to complete the bridge removal segment widening of the Terminal 91 trail. This uh, authorization today is for $1,475,000 for a project total estimate cost of $1,525,000. Next slide, please. All right, put a little uh, context and project location. Uh, the slide on the left side um, kind of shows the extent of uh, what's sometimes referred to as Elliott Bay Trail. Uh, it begins just right around the corner from us here at the uh, Sculpture Park. 
uh, goes through Myrtle Edwards, Centennial Park by the Expedia campus, um, and then it does a circumnavigation of Terminal 91. The slide on the right um, is basically the little red square on the left one. That's our work area within it, um, and then you can see the two uh, segments. So these are two non-contiguous contiguous segments as part of this much larger trail. Um, and, and really, I think we're categorizing this as really a more of a um, kind of repair and replace type of project. Next slide, please. So starting from the North Pinch Point, working our way back uh, towards downtown, here's a picture of the current North uh, Pinch Point Bridge uh, taken from within the terminal. Uh, it was uh, originally placed so that when they were offloading uh, cars from Terminal 91 onto the, or onloading onto the trains, uh, they would be able to drive through this um, and not interrupt the trail. Uh, before this bridge went in, there was gates and fences that they would close down um, to be able to get through it. Um, just because the slide's really kind of helpful for this. So what's going to happen in this location is this will be removed down to the ground and will be replaced with an on-grade uh, trail. Next slide, please. And this is probably everyone's favorite moment on the trail. Um, the pinch is down to, uh, you know, if I really stretch my tape, about five feet between kind of fence post to fence post. Even with you know the weeds and other stuff, it really uh, rides a lot smaller than that. So in this location, uh, through an easement with BNSF Railroad, we are going to be able to gain an additional uh, three feet of width um, in this location, uh, which will, you know, effectively, will plus or minus end up with about eight foot six total width, about eight feet of concrete when we take the post out, um, and so that'll be vastly improve uh, the circulation through this area. Next slide, please. So the project objectives, we talked about it, obviously, you know, improve public safety, um, upgrade these trail segments to the um, American Association of Highway Transportation official design standards where applicable to allow for two-way traffic and reduce risk of collision. Uh, we're also going to be looking at NACTO standards in uh, collaboration with a sustainability team and where those uh, offer um, any standards that are greater, you know, kind of more stringent um, for public safety than ASHTA, we will adopt those. Uh, the next thing, the improve accessibility, and pause here just for a little bit. Everywhere we're calling this a trail project, and I know Cascade Bike Company talked about it, people call it the bike trail, but this is a trail that is used by so many people, and we have, you know, bikers and people on recumbent bikes that's really going to help, but we also have people on strollers, walkers, um, rollerblades, roller skates, uh, all kinds of modes of transportation. Um, and even in some cases, there's people coming to the cruise terminal with luggage. Um, and so this really is a trail accessibility project that is a huge benefit to bikers. Uh, but you know, the impetus about it is really to expand the number of users who uh, can enjoy that. And so I really want to highlight that point, that this isn't just for bikers. Uh, next slide, please. And so this just restates what I talked about on the photos. Uh, projects will remove the existing pedestrian bike bridge, replace with the on-grade path. And actually this, this photo is um, as you approach the bridge coming from the north. And you can see both um, the pitch of it is 
you know, is difficult even for walkers. Um, and it's very narrow um, for two-way traffic. And then the other elements are is the wide and existing pinch point south of the pedestrian, pedestrian bike bridge and then upgrade to the existing rail crossing. And there was a little photo in that last slide of the rail crossing, uh, which we want to bring up to better standards, again, for um, all um, principal users. Next slide, please. So going through the project risk, um, many of the ones that you, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. You kind of see with most projects, permit issuance, um, you know, that always is a, uh, you know, we have minimal control over the duration of that, but I think we've built enough time uh, into the schedule uh, to get it in a certain amount of time, and we can mitigate that with uh, potentially when we advertise, um, when we're uh, convinced there aren't going to be any other revisions. Um, the unforeseen hazardous material in the building site, you know, this site does have um, soil characteristics. We've tested it, it does um, have contaminations in various degrees in different spots. Um, and there is a Department of um, Ecology statue down where the tank farm used to be. So we've really kind of focused on how we can do this, basically disturbing and removing as little soil as possible. And so um, with the exception of the soil we'll have to remove um, on the BNSF rail to expand it, we're really gonna, the goal is try to leave everything in place. Um, remove the foundations, you know, just leave them in place and stuff, and really try to disturb as much and build up uh, to really mitigate um, opening up those hazards. Uh, weather delay is always just a play in, in paving projects. Um, big one risk is increased public response to detour from extended trail closure. And that's the one I think we're taking, um, you know, really at the highest level. Uh, there was a one-day closure earlier this year for a maintenance project uh, where they paved um, kind of from the, the bridge photo I showed you um, all the way up to the north end of the terminal. And that one-day closure, um, you know, was short, uh, you know, had an adequate detail, uh, detour, but um, really got a lot of response to it. And so we really need to address that. Is that the best detour? How can we better message it? Um, really get buy-in and really kind of educate people. What are we doing and why are we doing this? Um, and that's going to be a big part of this project. Um, and also in the um, funding authorization we've asked for, we've built some space in into that, that if there's opportunities for working extra shifts to really, you know, try to decrease the duration of construction to really minimize that impact. And we're scheduling to start the project um, after Labor Day, uh, where we do tend to see um, a decrease in trail uh, usage to, you know, unfortunately, the people left are the hardcore users that use it for work, uh, but a little bit of mitigation to the public. So that's how we're going to address that. And the last risk, um, which also is uh, just a constant one you guys hear is, always the risk of sniffing at overestimate, uh, but I think we've um, imprudent in our uh, contingency and, and what we're requesting today. Next slide, please. There's a trail schedule. Um, if we receive authorization today, uh, we'd really kind of work on uh, completing the design through the end of the year. Kind of going through uh, the first quarter, uh, we uh, do our permitting and bid docs and then really uh, advertise, um, you know, in the uh, May, April, May uh, period, um, hopefully awarding the contract in around July. And then, uh, like I said, begin uh, the project, um, hopefully in the early fall months when usage goes down, uh, but weather still holds on 
to some degree. And next slide. So as stated in the intro, current uh, project estimate is uh, about $1.5 million. Uh, we did previous authorization of uh, 50,000 to bring us to this point. Uh, the current request is for uh, 1,475,000 for a total of $1,525,000. Next slide. Um, any questions? Love to talk about it. Excellent. Thank you, Kira and Stefan. Any questions for, for staff? Commissioner Feldman. Well, thank you so much. It's great to see this coming to fruition, and thank you, Executive Metric, for bringing this forward, even though it's within your delegated authority, because it has a broad public interest as well as personal interest. One of the benefits of uh, tenure is to get to see things like this come to fruition, and so it's definitely been a, a big goal of mine. And I actually really appreciate the idea that I finally understand why the bridge to nowhere exists in the first place. Yeah. Now, you know, the fact that the cars had to drive under it, I had no idea. I had no, so that, thank you for that alone. We're feeling further educated. Um, so but there was uh, two things. One was the, um, I, I, I guess, uh, knowing, knowing the, um, I, I think the importance of this, given that it, it's been always an obvious thing to anybody who wrote it, and I just recently wrote it with the paving. It's so much nicer already and actually makes the other impediments stand out even worse because otherwise it's so lovely. Um, but with the uh, philanthropic investment in our waterfront trail as it is, this, this only takes on even greater priority that we have this connectivity throughout the, the waterfront. So it's really, I think, opportune moment and I'm, I'm very excited about that connectivity. I also want to acknowledge the importance that John Wolf played in this effort and that there had been a long time uh, back and forth with local BNSF staff and that because the Seaport Alliance does a lot of work with BNSF and I raised concern to him that we were having some disagreements with whose property is whose and Kira, thank you so much for doing that due diligence and finding out that it's actually our property. Yes. Uh, but still, John's contact with headquarters I think definitely helped facilitate the local conversation. And so great team effort. Always like to see the yes, Alliance and the so port much. working well together and seeing this come to fruition. So thank you so much. I can't wait for your inaugural ride through the improved yes. segments. Great. Yes, Commissioner Mohammed. Yeah, I echo uh, Commissioner Fellman's sentiments and thank you guys for bringing this forward. I really appreciated what you said about this is really about trail accessibility project, that it's not only about bikers, but there's so many other people who end up using that space. And so I, I appreciate what you guys are bringing before us. And then you also mentioned that there will probably be some challenges with permitting. And I do wonder um, with the waterfront uh, project that the city of Seattle is undertaking, is there some level of coordination? Um, do these timelines overlap? Yeah, well, so I wanted to restate. I wouldn't say there's going to be problems um, with with permitting. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't say that. But uh, I probably yeah, there's 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 always a level of uncertainty. Is is it going to take four months? Is it going to take six months? Um, and so, really, just wanting to be sort of candid about um, you know some of those timeline deliverables working with the city. Um, the permitting it, this includes is going to is really be two part. There's a um, a demo permit, which is the removal of the bridge, um, and a grading permit um, is really the extent of it. Um, and, and the grading, you know, speaking to and you know, directing the um, 
you know, the, the drainage to the existing stormwater system. So they're very kind of in place, distinct permitting, not really kind of connected with these larger efforts. This is all on port property. Um, so it also, um, there's no right-of-way issues. Uh, it, we're not touching any of the, uh, you know, right-of-way, so SDOT and things like that. So the, the construction area has very little outright, you know, sort of connection to um, right-of-ways, other agencies. Now, the detour, um, you know, that does very much involve SDOT, um, you know, because we're going to have to really, you know, move people onto um, city roads for portions of it. Um, and so, and I think, I think the, the tie-in I see is really the communication piece. And it really, I think really, you know, as we um, message this and hopefully, you know, as the project's coming up, we put billboards on, you know, sort of showing like what it's going to do. You know, the attention this is getting because of this you know, private-public partnership coming, you know, it, it, yeah. it, couldn't, it could have been better timing when yeah, we saw that, so. Great, thank you, thank you for those answers. Yeah. Excellent, any other questions? Commissioner Calkins, any questions from you? None for me. As Great. somebody who has occasionally ridden over this with my kids, I'm especially excited to have it be easier for those that don't have gears on their little bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So pleasantly moved. <laughs> second. Great. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Muhammad. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much, team. Moving on in the agenda, we are moving on to item 11A, presentations to staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director Metric will then introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 11A, the post-international arrivals facility airline realignment program status briefing. Commissioners, the opening of our international arrivals facility created a need for us to review the relocation of airlines at SEA to balance airport facilities. The proposed airline realignment plan took over two years to negotiate and is supported by our airline tenants. Earlier this year, you authorized additional design funds to ensure code compliance for replacing HVAC and air, air handling units. This briefing will provide an update on the project, the scope of the work, and the estimated project schedule in advance of construction authorization at our next commission meeting. So the presenters I have listed are Jason Johnson, Senior Manager, Airline Affairs and Aviation Properties, Sean Anderson, Capital Program uh, Leader, and uh, Letty Powell, Contractor, Aviation Project Management Group. So I'll turn it over to Jason. Jason. Good afternoon, President Cho, Executive Metric Commissioners. Thank you for the opportunity to provide you an update on this ongoing effort. With the completion of the IAF, a majority of gates on Concourse A were uh, converted from domestic operations only uh, to gates capable of accommodating international operations. United is currently assigned preferential gates in these converted gates, but they no longer operate international flights from SeaTac. This puts their domestic-only operations at risk of being relocated when an international operation needs these resources. As such, we've elected to use our lease authority to relocate United off of these international gates. Next slide, please. In this briefing, the project team will give you updates on our design development progress, the budget, 
risks, schedule, and our estimate of future commission actions and briefings. Next slide. In this project, we propose to relocate United off of the international gates on Concourse A, including their support spaces. The sport will construct the majority of the, of the replacement premises for United. However, United elected to construct the replacement premises for their lounge under a memorandum of agreement with us uh, for reimbursement of those costs. In addition, this project will also repurpose a portion of underutilized ticket counters in the center of the airport for common use. And with that, uh, Sean Anderson and Letty Powell will discuss the rest of the project. Thank you. All right, good afternoon, commissioners. Mr. Metric, uh, this slide illustrates the, uh, in a graphical mode, the, the, both the uh, work that we'll be doing as well as the movement of airlines at the airport. Uh, Concourse A is shown on the lower left of the graphic and Concourse B on the upper right with the main terminal uh, toward the middle and lower right. The number one on the, on the slide indicates the movement of United Airlines from uh, A to B. And our greatest amount of work is on Concourse B itself, where we are remodeling space to make room for United. And that's represented by the blue shapes, and this is on the ramp level, which is below the uh, public level where uh, the gates are located. The red shapes indicate space that uh, we are remodeling primarily as part of our enabling package uh, with other airlines, moving them on Concourse B to make space for United. And that uh, also includes uh, code upgrades to the spaces, accessibility improvements, and remodeled restrooms. The number two is just uh, an arrow showing the movement at Delta Airlines from B to A including some work on uh, spaces for them represented by the um, hashed red squares. And then uh, there's some spaces at the end of Concourse A which we will be lightly touching, making them ready for future um, leases up with future tenants. The number three highlights really some of our major work as well, which is to provide uh, appropriate ventilation air to the new spaces we are building on Concourse B, uh, and in, it includes the replacement of two air handlers, which will be <clears throat> larger, but also more efficient. These air handlers are uh, being designed in a manner that allows a future project to, uh, that will be coming into Concourse B to connect to them and make further improvements to the ventilation throughout the uh, concourse in the future. The last piece of work that the port will be undertaking is uh, represented by the number four, which is the ticket counters in the, toward the center of the main terminal. These are adjacent to Southwest Airlines and we're going to be converting them into a more flow-through condition um, and creating more uh, efficient, improving the efficiency of, of, of those ticket counters. And then the number five represents the work by United Airlines who will be vac uh, remodeling a vacated lounge into their new lounge on Concourse B. This will be work undertaken by United, completed by them, but paid for by the Port of Seattle as part of this project. And now um, I'll turn it over to uh, Project Manager Letty Powell 
for the next few slides. Uh, the project will deliver the infrastructure and facility improvements to support the airline relocation in four packages. Since we saw you last in February, the, the enabling package that delivers initial uh, tenant relocations and code upgrades has been progressed to 100% design development. The remaining base scope for the airline realignment is at approximately 60% design right now. Um, as we mentioned, the United Airline Lounge is being coordinated under a separate MOA with United. Um, we are expecting 30% design complete by the end of this year. Um, our project team is coordinating very closely with them as we all have key interests to align the delivery of both of our spaces. Next slide, please. Uh, airline realignment has been identified as a tier two project for environmental regulatory compliance. Our project team has been collaborating with the SPARC committee over the last several months to identify sustainability strategies. Um, I'm highlighting key, three key strategies here for you today. Uh, I am particularly excited about the equity strategies and material that have been identified. Uh, Gender-neutral restrooms, improved interior accessibility, and non-hazardous materials will have a direct and immediate effect to all the airline and port um, individuals that are working on the ramp level, back of house space in Concourse B. Uh, this is a vintage building, and so improvements are much needed. So um, <laughs> uh, this is something I think that will, uh, the the people who we are working in and around will maybe have a little bit more understanding of us disrupting their, their operations when we're going to deliver something that really improves their everyday life. Uh, we will be returning with the SEAC committee in October as part of their overall update to the Commission on Sustainability to provide more details of where we're at here. Uh, next slide to Sean, I believe. So our project estimates are uh, continuing to be refined as we progress the design. Uh, we're working with our designers and our general uh, contractor construction manager or GCCM partners, along with our project control staff. Uh, to we, we have now brought us to a total project cost in a range of $102 million to $140 million. That is lower than what we had previously presented, which was in the $98 million uh, to $172 million. Um, while we can't guarantee that this trend will continue, we are uh, evaluating means to shorten the project schedule. We'll get into that in a little bit, and that will um, have a corollary impact on reducing costs as well. If we move to the next slide, uh, talking about schedule, um, we are representing what we're calling our enabling work in the first bar and the uh, remaining port work in the second bar. And the third bar represents, again, that separate work being completed by United Airlines under a uh, memorandum of agreement. Right now, you can see in the blue box where we're projecting that United would be operating out of Concourse B in the third quarter of 2025. Uh, we are evaluating options on how to bring that back and actually get United operating on Concourse B sooner than that, uh, both with uh, in, you know reducing 
construction durations, but also looking at other alternatives of how we can get United into that space sooner. And so that may have an impact on some of the work we need to do with their space. There may be, for instance, a need for some temporary air handlers, things of that sort. But we are continuing to evaluate how can we get United moved over sooner than what we have depicted in this slide today. And so I will turn it back to Letty for the next few slides. Um, project risk continues to be mitigated as we gain cost and schedule certainty as the design is progressed. Um, there are three key areas that we've highlighted today that are among our highest risks that we're tracking. Uh, a big challenge for the project team has been the site verification and documentation of existing conditions. Um, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, our vintage building. Um, uh, laser scanning and 3D modeling efforts have undergone over the last several months and this has been a key component to informing the, the design um, and also able to reduce the overall budget that Sean alluded to um, earlier in the presentation. Uh, complex phasing is a challenge that our team has been able to tackle head-on. Bringing in the mechanical and electrical trade partners during pre-construction has proved invaluable to developing and improving the complex phasing that is needed. Um, so as we continue again to get towards 100% design for the base scope, I expect to see some a lot of improvement in this area as well. Um, and finally, we are working in a 24-hour day, seven-day a week facility, um, ensuring our construction activities are performed safely without an interruption to airline and port operations is our top priority. Um, the project is continuing to collaborate with uh, port stakeholders um, to ensure that we identify the operational constraints and include those provisions within our contract documents. Um, next slide. And as you are very familiar with, the cone of certainty um, as you can see, since we were here back in February, we've continued to progress towards the right side of that cone. Um, we are approximately in the middle where the red arrow is indicating right now. Um, we will, as we continue to finish the design by the end of this year, um, we expect to be able to deliver um, a budget and schedule that we can have confidence in and stand by. And next slide. And this is our last slide for today, really uh, just highlighting our when we will be returning uh, to you for construction authorizations. First up in September, the next meeting in September, we'll be requesting authorization for our first package of enabling work, approximately $14 million. We're also looking to uh, return in December for the remaining uh, author, construction authorization for the remaining port work and then at that time also uh, provide a briefing on the United Airlines lounge project and so with that I uh, want to thank you for your time uh, look forward to seeing you again at the next meeting and uh, would like to be uh, take any questions you might have thank you so much for the presentation um, just to note that Commissioner Cho has left the meeting um, so at this time, commissioners, I'll look to you, my colleagues, with any questions or comments you may have, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, first of all, for the thorough presentation. Um, 
I had a quick question around slide number four. Um, I'm curious about how the, the decisions are made around this. It's obviously really important decisions that you guys are making. How do you decide what airline goes where and who's part of that decision-making process and what inputs are taken from um, employees and so forth? Certainly. Uh, so the project did go through a very thorough preliminary uh, evaluation of different options that included the movement of different airlines to different locations. We evaluated, you know, the primary purpose was to get United off of those international gates where they could be eventually bumped to more stable gates, if you will, domestic uh, operational gates. And so we looked at several different locations, including concourses C and D and even the uh, S concourse, the South Satellite as well. And part of the attractiveness of this particular chosen option was uh, reducing the number of other airlines that would get moved uh, and, and really trying to, to, to limit that. Uh, part of the attractiveness too was just in essence, if you will, swapping gates with Delta Airlines, who has international operations and would be moving into the gates, essentially, uh, that United is operating out of now, was uh, working then with somebody who's motivated to uh, uh, move. And uh, United has, uh, both United and uh, Delta have been very strong partners with us in uh, advancing this project. So it sounds like there is some consensus around that. I'm Indeed. That. Indeed. Okay. Yes. Great. That was my, my question. Commissioner Fellman. I, I got to tell you, this is like just one of the other projects at the airport. It just amazes me the, the creativity that goes into this. I know you call it a realignment. It could be like the musical chairs. I mean, it is extraordinary what you guys have been able to just envision, no less implement, as you say, while conducting business. It, it, it really is visionary, and I, I really appreciate that. And I also appreciate, obviously, the collaboration that the airlines have to go through to live through such a process. And so um, I'm really delighted to see uh, this moving forward. And I don't think, uh, I think there's also improvements in access to gates for wide bodies as also another benefit of doing this. So it's like, what's not to like? And, and then also the creativity that United can then go and do their own construction. I mean, so there's like all these multiple ways in which you're completing this, all of which shows tremendous flexibility and ingenuity. So thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Calkins. Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks for the presentation. This has got to be one of the more challenging aspects of running an airport is um, making sure that uh, everybody is in an optimal location based on ticketing, baggage handling, and then weighing that against um, you know the size of the presence of a particular carrier in the airport and how we accommodate the um, the big, medium, and small in an equitable way. Um, and so I don't envy the work to to get consensus among our carriers, but I certainly applaud uh, everybody that has participated in those conversations. When we look at these big projects, we're obviously always uh, forced to balance two very important factors, budget and schedule. And um, 
you know, often I think our inclination is to sacrifice a little bit of schedule to make up some in budget. Um, when I look at the schedule overview, and I can't, I can't see the page number on it, but maybe we could bring that up, um, that particular slide up. There is an element of that schedule overview that gives me real concern, uh, which is we have a couple of major uh, moments coming up here in um, airport use uh, where we cannot afford to slip at all on this schedule. Um, the first is the increased opening of um, trans-Pacific traffic at the airport. So uh, we're anticipating um, flights that had been mothballed during the COVID pandemic uh, from China and from elsewhere in Asia to be reinstituted. Uh, those are extremely important for our region economically uh, and in a time when um, the tension between the US and China is where it is, uh, we want to encourage that kind of bilateral movement. Um, and so as an airport, we wanna roll out the red carpet for folks visiting from China and, and elsewhere in Asia. And then the second is right at the end of the chart. Um, we're one of the host cities for FIFA 2026. This is a, an enormous world event. Um, it's an opportunity for us to showcase our region. Um, you know, more people watch the World Cup than watch the Olympics. Um, and while it may not, soccer may not be uh, the most popular sport here, it certainly is in most of the world. And we really want to make sure that when folks who have never spent time in Seattle come and get their first impression here, that uh, it's through an airport that works smoothly, uh, that, that is logical, in which the, you know, the IAF welcome mat is um, amazing, but that also, you know, upon return that their flights are sensical and um, so that uh, it, it appears as if we will make it just in time um, based on those um, scheduling concerns. However, uh, if past is prologue, we know that there's a lot of things outside of our control that could impact schedule. And so I think I'm just going to use my comment to, today to say that as we continue forward in this project, um, please do not delay in bringing forward to us opportunities to either accelerate schedule or keep it on pace, even if it might uh, require a little bit more investment up front. I think the, um, it would be unwise for us to try to be penny wise and pound foolish in this situation in particular. And so you know, in that balance between schedule and budget, uh, please know where I'm inclined on this one that uh, we really do need to make schedule on this. Totally understood, Commissioner. And we're, we're continuing to make efforts towards completing this project sooner than what we're depicting. I think we've, we've, we've got options that we're in the process of evaluating, uh, including what temporary facilities we could move uh, airlines into to allow that to happen. And we'll continue to be working with our uh, general uh, GCCM and design partners as well as with our airport stakeholders to uh, see what steps we can take toward that end and really trying to get uh, the project and get United moved closer to the beginning of 2025 as opposed to where we're showing it now. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. 
Commissioner Muhammad. I think, uh, Commissioner Calkins, thank you for uh, the comments you made. I think it was really great. What do they say about a hundred million tune in to the Super Bowl and it's 3.5 billion then tune in to FIFA, um, the World Cup. And I, I think that's really important points that you've made. And I, I do wonder just as part of that risk management and are you guys taking these large events into account and how is that information going to come back to us as commissioners if that timeline is going to change or if we're at risk of that changing at any point so that we can be able to make some early decisions. And certainly we, we can relay that information back to you as we get it developed. We will, of course, be returning to the commission uh, at the next meeting, but also in December. And we should have some developments by that point that we can share with you at, a, at the December meeting, if not sooner as they occur. Great. Um, can we turn to slide uh, six for me, please? Uh, taking a look at the equity strategies that you've identified. So for the restrooms that are there, we're talking about one gender neutral restrooms, just one area that will accommodate people of all identities. Okay, and then do those also feature family stalls? Do you mind if I? Please. Yeah, uh, this is a, um, back of house ramp level only okay. so just for the port and airline workers got it yeah so no family provisions we actually explored that and even right. like a nursing room but because of uh, safety dangers down there just with 24 7 operations and not having always 100 percent you know people around all the time we um, with the maintenance folks they were concerned about that about security specifically uh just about having a uh the 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 use of the room not being used for what it was supposed to be used and being um, damaged and trashed and then the people who were using that just not feeling safe about being in a room that locks mm -hmm. and so we with our gender neutral we were keeping an open floor setting and then working with maintenance and operations to make sure that they have more regular rounds during the off hours okay so there's been a lot of collaboration um, just to make sure the function of the space also meets the the operation and the folks that were there okay okay and then um for employee break rooms where are those going to be located on our map those are part of the uh airline so we're providing tenant and airline space and so as part of their function to support their ramp operations they have different break rooms um, as, so that's within our concourse B ramp level. Um, we'll be for providing for United Airlines, uh, Delta Airlines, and then some uh, SkyWest Airlines facilities. Okay, thank you. That mm -hmm. was really helpful. Um, Commissioner Feldman. Thank you for the clarification that it's not for the public, but it just reminded me that we learned um, some time ago that in the push for gender neutral that there was some potential uh, unanticipated consequences about associated with uh, human trafficking that the trafficker could follow the person into the room and and I was just wondering you know one of these things like you know, no good deed you go right um, I'm just wondering have we thought about how to you know balance that challenge in in this particular no in, no I mean in, it, it, in, I understand this yeah. is not pertinent here but we yeah. are trying to do gender neutrality as much as possible but at the same time, we're also very concerned about human trafficking. So has there been some design thought about how to uh, 
contend with these potentially opposing goals? You know, that is a very good question. If, it, if it's uh, okay with you, I'd like to take that back to really our, our restroom team and have them address that question for well, you. Given it's not pertinent to this conversation, certainly. Thank <laughs> so you. thank you so much. Yeah, okay, thank, thank you for that. Um, are there any further questions or comments? Thank you so much for the presentation and for thank your you work on this. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, and we will move forward to the next item. Uh, Clerk Hark, please read it into the record. And Executive Director Metric will then introduce it. Thank you, Commission Vice President. This is agenda item 11B, the 2023 Port of Seattle Affirmative Action Program Briefing. Commissioners, this is our annual briefing of our Affirmative Action Program. Uh, bottom line up front, we continue to see no underrepresentation of minorities in any equal employment opportunity to our EEO job groups at the port. Uh, while we do have two underrepresented EEO job groups for women, we will continue to work in collaboration with talent acquisition and talent connections to conduct targeted outreach and recruitment for these EEO job groups. While these results are strong, I want to uh, assure you that I want to, to acknowledge that we have, still have significant opportunities for growth and improvement in this regard, and you are already aware of a number of initiatives led by Human Resources in the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion to ensure that we are truly realizing our equity goals across the port. So the presenters this afternoon are Cindy, Cynthia Alvarez, Senior Manager, Employee Relations and from uh, Human Resources, and George Genococcus, Affirmative Action Program Manager, Employee Relations human, from Human Resources as well. So Cynthia, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you and good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Alvarez, Senior Manager, Employee Relations with HR. I'm joined today uh, with uh, George Genacakis, our Affirmative Action Program Manager, to present the 2023 Affirmative Action Briefing. Next slide, please. The Port of Seattle's Affirmative Action Program continues to meet our compliance reporting responsibilities, as well as reflects the port's commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion. Our first slide here is a, is a quick refresher of our affirmative action program purpose and requirements. We are required as a federal contractor to create three annual affirmative action plans, one for women and minorities, one for individuals with disabilities, and one for VEVRA protective veterans. Our affirmative action program also ensures that we take good faith efforts to recruit, hire, and retain qualified women, minorities, individuals with disabilities, and VEVRA-protected veterans. Our program also ensures that the representation of individuals within these groups meets the standards set out for us by the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, or OFCCP. Next slide, please. And now I'm going to turn it over to George, who is going to jump into our 2023 program highlights. Thank you. Thanks, Cynthia. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is George Shinkakis. I'm the uh, Ports Affirmative Action Program Manager. Uh, I'm just going to cover some of the highlights of our 2023 Affirmative Action Plan Year. Uh, so this first slide is uh, the key points from the plan year. Um, as uh, the, as the executive director pointed out, we had no underutilizations for minorities in any of our 17 EEO job groups. 
Uh, we did have two unrealizations for women uh, in job groups 21, our technician's job group, and job group 28, our non-commissioned protective services job group. We conducted our 2023 EO compensation analysis um, and, and continued to find that there are uh, disparities of 7.5% and greater in pay for people performing the same work. Um, however, that's regardless of race and gender. Uh, HR is also in the middle of a compensation project is addressing pay disparities through our pay equity analysis. And we will continue to monitor our progress with our annual EU compensation analysis. This past plan year, we conducted a full audit of the Ports Affirmative Action Program. Uh, we've taken a number of steps to improve our data collection, EO job reach assignments, and our applicant flow considerations for more accurate analysis going forward into the 2024 plan year and beyond. Uh, next slide, please. This slide looks at our other two plans for our this slide looks at our other two plans for Section 503 Individuals with Disability and our voter protected vets. Um, the first box there is the aspirational goal that OFCCP set for 2023 for 7% for individuals with disability and 5.5% for veteran protected veterans. Uh, this past plan year, we had a, an increase for individuals with disabilities or those that identifying um, as such at 9%, which is an increase of 1.06%. And then a slight decrease in veteran protective vets uh, down to 8.86%. Uh, both of these are still well above the, the aspirational goal set by OSP. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, this is a closer look at the underutilization uh, that we found for our two uh, job groups for women. Um, so for technicians, job group 21, these positions consist mostly of ICT, survey and mapping, Aviation Maintenance, Logistics, and Construction Services. Um, and then for the Non-Commissioned Protective Services Command, uh, those are upper-level uh, fire command positions, captains, assigned chiefs, and assistant chief positions. Uh, just quickly going over these boxes here, you have uh, the first one there is total number of employees in the positions, uh, number of female in those females in the job group, um, and then an availability benchmark is the weighted availability based on external and internal applicants. Uh, and the difference is uh, the number of people short of meeting that benchmark. For technicians, we're currently at 36% for that plan year. Um, and we hired for 40, hired 49 positions and only 18 of them were females. Uh, placement rate's about uh, 37%, so slightly higher than our uh, current rate. And then for uh, job group 28, uh, we're currently at 3.9%, so well below the 20.68% you see there. And we only have one position up from last year, um, and it did not go Next slide, please. And uh, next slide. This is a look at our non-represented uh, pay by grade. Uh, this one is uh, gender. Um, it's important to note this is the non-rep only. Uh, non-rep makes up just over half of our employee workforce. Um, so we're, seeing, we're only seeing about half the picture here. So one representation. Uh, Overall, it's at 33%. Uh, this is as of August 15th. Um, we are seeing that female representation starts uh, very high um, in entry-level positions. And then we see dip as we get to grades 25 to 29, but never falling below our representation. Um, and once we get into higher grade, women representation grows. Uh, the port is doing well at advancing from women to the top levels of the organization. Next slide, please.
this is the same chart but for minority representation. Uh, we see the same kind of starting here where minority representation is strong in entry-level positions, grades 15 through 19. Um, but then we see a steady drop in progress as we progress into higher grades. Uh, this reflects that we continue to have opportunities to improve our recruitment and development of minority employees um, as they advance in their careers. Next slide, please. Uh, this is a uh, general look at our representation of the port uh, compared to our three major surrounding areas. Um, so this data for King, Pierce, and Snohomish represents uh, straight populations, so that's uh, all juveniles, uh, retired elderly and non-working adults are included in this. Uh, what we're seeing here uh, of note is that our minority representation uh, does well reflect uh, Pearson's and Homesh and slightly uh, less than King. Uh, next slide. Uh, so moving forward into our 2024 plan year, uh, as stated earlier, continuing to partner talent acquisition and emerging talent to identify uh, recruitment opportunities especially for underutilizations. Uh, uh, this past, as a reaction to this, pla this past plan year, we have uh, put in a, a flagging, a flagger into Talent workflow uh, to automatically trigger whenever a position for one of our underutilizations uh, appears so that we can create more targeted outreach opportunities for women in those positions. Uh, workplace responsibility, employer relations, continuing in our process improvement work uh, we, HR is continuing its code of conduct policies review and updates, and we've uh, established a, a team in HR to review all policy updates and renews uh, through an equity lens uh, before finalizing. Uh, and we are also preparing to evaluate our EEO job groups following HR's implementation of this new pay rate structure. Uh, that is all the slides I have, and I welcome any questions. Thank you for the presentation. I'm going to turn to my colleagues for questions. It's just one observation that it just seems that our, our score regarding race versus gender is far worse um, with regards to opportunities as the grades get higher. Correct. You are correct, sir. And, and so do you see this as a different strategies to it? to address each one, or is it basically the same approach? Well, it's, uh, I think that we will be working uh, very closely with our talent acquisition team to work on creating such a strategy to address uh, the numbers for uh, minorities and to explore opportunities moving forward. All right, thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Uh, you know, we've all been watching carefully after a couple of uh, key Supreme Court decisions about um, both local and federal level, uh, the ability to um, use some of these metrics to, to help to encourage diversity in workplaces, obviously, in, in school admissions, things like that. I'm wondering if um, you all, experts in this area, have been part of conversations happening amongst professionals like you about how to um, mm -hmm. 
manage after those decisions to still work towards the same outcome, which is to ensure that our workforce reflects our community sufficiently. Yes, we were, were uh, familiar, of course, with the Supreme Court's decision, which, as, as you mentioned earlier, impacts college admissions. It did not impact uh, the employment, uh, affirmative action in, in the employment arena. Uh, it did not uh, change or, or um, in any way alter the port's responsibilities to comply with OFCCP affirmative action recording, reporting requirements. Uh, it's, uh, but we look for opportunities to you know, ex explore. Um, and I, I am familiar with colleagues in the, in the field who um, have read articles about organizations looking at their EDI efforts uh, and revisiting their EDI efforts. Of course, that is uh, not something that uh, the port or I would support personally. And again, there's, there's nothing that um, has, um, uh, has, has, with our affirmative action program, we're taking, uh, it, there's no plus one preference for race. There's no quotas. We are looking to make good faith efforts to recruit, hire, and retain qualified women and minorities, individuals with disabilities, veteran protective veterans, that uh, uh, th that hasn't changed, uh, but uh, continue to be very um, involved in professional groups that continue this discussion to strategize for what the future may hold. We don't know. Well, please let us know as um, you experts um, continue to face uncertain waters and um, your colleagues are finding ways to, to achieve the ultimate goal, which is, as I said, to have true representation in our workforce and contractors and others. Uh, please don't hesitate to share those findings with us too. Absolutely, thank you. George, is that a Michigan shirt you're wearing? That's <laughs> it. <laughs> it does, it is. Well, I, I, I hope that um, Michigan and Washington can meet in the uh, the college championship this year, and that Michigan goes down to Washington. But anyway, you guys look great this year. Vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> director Gerard. Yeah, thank you. I just um, Katie Gerard, Senior Director for Human Resources. I just want to add some additional context to some of the work that we are doing. So, Commissioner Feldman, you know, to the in regards to the. Um, equity in our salaries. That is a project that we are very close to being ready to implement with a new pay equity methodology for our non-represented pay grades. Um, that's a significant change for our organization and it will get us much more consistent in how we address salary um, across the board. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens after we implement in 2024 um, that, new, that new structure. Um, and in terms of um, the outreach, right, those are the tools that we've had. We're in Washington State. I-200's been in place for years. Um, so our proactive outreach is really the best thing that we can do, and we have really stepped up our efforts in that space, not only from building our pipeline through our high school and college um, internship programs, our vet fellow programs, but just we have more staff in that area. Um, certainly we've brought in lots of new employees into the 
into the port and so every hire is an opportunity to make sure we have a diverse pool uh, we've also been partnering with OEDI to make sure that the um, the panels are, are um, full of different perspectives and so as people are interviewing and being considered we have a lot of people looking at, at those individual candidates so I feel confident I mean we are an organization um, there's some things that have really uh, improved we have better data today um, when I came in in the door there was 18 to 20 percent that didn't even identify their race um, in our system we're down to 13 percent that's significant in my mind that people are now willing to share their race information with us so we have better um, information to analyze um, George has come in that's a new position as of last year as an affirmative action program manager so a dedicated resource to really audit our program he's done a great job put in some new tools um, to really make sure that we're addressing where our underrepresentation exists and for us that's for women it's not for people of color um, but certainly on the, the equity focus on salary with our comp project we'll be able to begin to address those things and have really a lot better data to make sure we're making decisions that are not based on race and gender well um, thank you so much for the presentation and I'll, I'll say it's so important that we daylight um, like the reality of our position right now so that we can strategize together on how we can begin to um, close some of these equity gaps I mean obviously it's very disconcerting to look at the gaps that uh, that clearly continue to exist right here within the Port of Seattle between staff um, who are hold similar positions and doing similar functions and so um, you know I really really appreciate director Gerard's um, for additional context about um, about uh, actions that we are actually going to be taking I mean uh, the the key word in affirmative action is action um, and um, well they're both keywords and um, so I'm hoping can you talk to me just a little bit more about an anticipated timeline for an implementation strategy to give pay raises um, to members of our workforce um, you know because it's it, hiring is important retention is important but a key piece of that is not just that people are here it's that they're also being fairly treated in earnings so sure. um, and appreciated so uh, additional information about that and a potential timeline would be helpful for us for sure so um, you know we're a little bit behind schedule I am very upfront about that uh, we are looking at a 2024 implementation uh, we you know um, part of our pay equity strategy is to look at both experience that everyone brings to the table um, that is not something that we had readily available so over the summer we've asked every non-represented employee to submit their similar experience to what they're doing today so we can start to analyze okay if I have nine years as a kind of senior director of HR and um, somebody else has three years as an HR consultant that that's a factor that will actually go into where their salary should be set so we need to gather that information and we're we've just uh, we're about 85% complete of analyzing it uh, there will be a process where we share the, the experience factor with each of those employees um, and so we're, we're hopeful for the the first part of 2024 I'd be happy to do two two ones to kind of give you a little bit more understanding of the changes that we're making and what the new um, kind of design philosophies are going forward I think that would be good for you all to know in anticipation of because you will receive the salary and benefits resolution that will have all of that new information and process in it um, so as soon as we're a little bit closer uh, maybe later this year we can start those two two ones so that I can get you all up to speed on on what we're proposing so in terms of identifying the funding sources necessary in order to implement that are we talking about the 
upcoming budget um, cycle. Yeah, Commissioner, you'll see those. That's part of the discussion is how we can implement it within the budget. And you'll see that proposed as we, especially the salary and benefits resolution coming forward, but as a part of the overall budget. And that actually is, you know, there's two parts to that is, is, uh, um, as Katie has talked about, which is the compensation study, but there's also the other side of, of looking at uh, just pay, uh, pay equity as well. So, so there's the, the, the two elements of that will be reflected in this year's budget. Yeah, and then in terms of strategies, and it's almost like corrective action, right? Um, so I'm really glad to hear that there's a, um, a plan for that. What has this study revealed, or um, what has the woman of color assessment revealed about causation, that there's such stark disparity between people holding similar positions, doing similar work, but in what yeah. they're earning? Part of it's structural in my mind. If we look at what our current pay bands look like today, they're pretty broad. Um, so someone that is you know, brand new to a field and at the lower end of that, it's a 50% gap to the top. And so certainly different people are gonna be um, at all different levels of that, that of that band. Um, we're, we are going to narrow the bands a little bit, but we are going to make them more competitive. Uh, we are looking at market. Um, but certainly just some inconsistencies. Some managers will really fight hard that this person needs to start higher in the range. Um, others are like, oh, I want to start everyone at the beginning. So there's just been some inconsistencies. We've always allowed people um, it, to bring people in below the midpoint and the, the required justification to bring in someone above the midpoint. That's been a regular process. but. That kind of um, below the midpoint uh, is, can be very variable and over time can have a big impact on how someone's salary progresses. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think some of it was structural, but also just how um, different managers would, would advocate and how the negotiation process went. Um, what we're moving to is a more predictive pay analysis where we would look at what similar experience somebody has um, to then place them in the band and then uh, performance and COLA would be the ways that they progress through that band doing the same work. Um, so it's a more consistent approach to um, administering pay uh, for the people doing similar jobs. I really appreciate the effort that you've invested to understand this as a structural issue so that we can continue to strategize around it. And it's interesting, at the point of entry and hire, what they're receiving in pay when they first come on board is assessed based upon what their, um, you know, their their expertise or, you know, what experience, what yeah. their experience. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, but why there would be such stark difference at the point of entry then between males or whites, between um, non-males and non-whites at the point of entry that leads to such stark disparities raises other questions for me. Like, are, you know, how are, um, how are we considering the totality of what makes somebody qualified? Are they able to, uh, are there pay negotiations that we allow for? Or, you know, um, are, what, are there other factors that there are currently today, uh, but we're changing that. So there will, like, we will start to see on our job announcements that our pay band assist, we already, um, as required, we already put the full band that's available um, assigned to that job. Um, but we'll say, like, if you have, if you bring six years of experience, you can expect your salary to be in this much smaller space because it's, it's relative to the experience you bring to the table. Um, so we'll start promoting that on our job announcements once we have the, the full methodology implemented. There are some kind of uh, variable 
variables that we're still working through to kind of find out what that right mix of experience credit should be as well. Um, because we have a pay for performance system here at the port and we're continuing with that, then, then there will be, once you're in the port, the progression can be made based on performance. Um, so that will be the second factor for current employees. Excellent. Um, so this pool, this assessment is based upon uh, Port of Seattle employees, correct? Yes. Yep, the salary is all of, um, just our non-rep, so it does not include our representative. And can you take snapshots by department as well to be able to identify experience with the disparate? And then is Port of Seattle Police also a part of this study as well? Um, they, they are represented, so um, wages and salaries are set through negotiation, so that's a separate process. Um, but we, we look at market data and all of those things as we negotiate um, under Mikel O'Brien. Okay. Thank you so very much for the questions. Anything You're else welcome. from the body? Thank you for the presentation and the amazing work. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, um, so I guess that actually concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. And at this time, we can move to closing comments from commissioners. Is there anything for the good of the order relating to committee referrals? Since Commissioner Mohammed has a happy note to end on, I think I'd rather go first. Go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, actually, I, I just want to reiterate the importance of acknowledging 9 11, you know, having my great grandparents growing up. From that on, from New York, and it is a it is a solemn time for me, and uh, one that I think the the reflection on our vulnerability as a country, and certainly our vulnerability in democracy right now, it's um it's a great moment to reflect, and I do appreciate Executive Metrics' chance to bring it to our attention. And I um and uh, Commissioner Calkins. Uh, yeah, sure. So. I think the thing I would reflect on today is uh, back to school. <laughs> Somebody who uh, is so grateful to have uh, a good public school system to send my three kids off to um, and know that they're going to be taken care of and come back a little bit smarter at the end of each day. Um, it, it's uh, <laughs> yes, for I'm sure all parents can agree with me in saying it really is a wonderful time of year to get them back on the school bus each morning. Commissioner Coffins and Commissioner Mahoney. I feel like I'm being pressured into my comments. <laughs> um, well, well, before I, uh, I just want to echo your words about 9-11. I, I have to start there and I really appreciated um, Executive Director Metrics comments and um, that was a, a, a changing moment for so many people in our country, so many Americans in the country and I was so grateful to seeing all the firefighters, first responders. I was pretty young when 9-11 happened and to me it wasn't really clear what that moment was and how life-changing it would be for so many people in our community, including so many people from the Sikh community, the Muslim community. Um, I thought it was a moment of unification for so many Americans in this country to say that something so terrible happened to the United States and then to to feel like you were part of that problem is painful. See, I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up, but I, I do reflect. It's a moment of reflection, and um, it still makes me very proud to be an American and very proud to have seen so many people come together and fight for the country. Um, 
and you know, for, for those who are impacted by it indirectly, I also want to acknowledge that pain because it's real. Um, that said, Thursday, <laughs> this is, I'll, I'll end in a um, more um, kind of a, a, an exciting note for our, our city. Thursday is Beyonce Knowles concert. And if you guys know me, you know I'm a huge, huge um, Beyonce fan. And um, I jokingly made a, a pro I didn't do it actually, our, our commission staff, I called them earlier joking around and saying that this is the best week of the summer because Beyonce Knowles is coming to our city and that it's going to be an incredible concert and that we should do a proclamation tonight. When I came into the office, they created, created a proclamation and we shared it around. But um, I think it's it's just I'm uplifting I, that I moment. would vote for that, Hondi. Yeah, vote for it. <laughs> People have signed. It's like a real sort of <laughs> internal thing. Um, but yeah, I wanted I was uplifting it because I think you know um, coming out of the pandemic where we were separated for so long, I think these concerts that come to our region is so important. We saw the Taylor Swift concert and having Beyonce come here. She's going to draw, I think, like 80,000 people that's going to fill up that stadium. And I think it really does align with the port's vision when we talk about tourism and travel. People are going to be coming through our airport to be able to um, watch the show. And so it adds to our local economy and supports so many of our, our local small businesses. And so everyone who is part of the Beehive, um, I will see you on Thursday. Enjoy the concert. And support local restaurants in the CID. Um, I just wanted to um, echo my gratitude to Executive Director Metric for that personal anecdote about where you were. Um, just to juxtapose sort of the generational difference, three out of five members of this commission were walking the halls of their school, their grade school, in elementary and middle school. Um, and I just remember my own, um, it was for me a moment to, uh, uh, I think one of those first moments of understanding uh, just how, how, being so confused, but also understanding that something that happened so far away has a very real impact right here at home. The fear that folks felt, the f confusion that folks felt, um, and then the impact that it had on our local community members. and. Um, I remember that was a teachable moment within my family about what it was to be targeted not for who you, not for what you've done, but for who you were. Um, and in the Japanese American World War II experience and knowing that racism very much exists within our community members and knowing that members of the Sikh and Muslim community were going to be present day targets of that racism, that bigotry, um, and that xenophobia. And, um, and it just still shows up in so many ways against so many different groups of people um, for, again, um, nothing more than, um, than who we are. And so, um, so thank you so much for bringing that up because it's teachable to us about the opportunities to be able to come together um, and demonstrate that united we are stronger is the sum of many parts. So um, thank you. And I'm looking to Commissioner Feldman. I promise it's not about 9-11. Um, but I, I want to bounce off of Beyonce. Um, because you know, because it's, it's very interesting that there's these huge stories about how much money these few giant events occur. And then there was a story in the Times about the small venues 
that are struggling, that the art community and how much the art community is having a challenge filling their theaters, and, um, and that how important art is to our culture. And I've, now that I'm on the art committee, and we have this fantastic vitality in our art business, that we're creating these opportunities for artists is fantastic. But it was really talking about the performing arts and, and trying to get people into theaters, which obviously now with the resurgence of COVID, the, the, the challenges that poses. To, so I don't want to belittle that important you know, economic injection that one day brings, but we have all these folks that are struggling on a regular basis. And so that small business impact, I think we still have to think about in vitalizing the, the region. It, it, takes the, it takes a village. So anyway, I just didn't, because I think it overshadows it a little bit. And, and, um, but all the power to her. And we're looking forward to seeing the place get pumped up. Thank you. Executive Director Metric, any closing comments? Uh, those are hard to follow, uh, Commissioners, but uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> thanks, Commissioners. I uh, appreciate your um, the things we passed today and the discussions that we had and your feedback on those important issues. So, uh, And let me just reflect. I mean, that time, uh, you know, 9-11, it did bring people to, together. And I think the support that came out, uh, of course, you know, when you had those uh, at attacks perhaps on uh, uh, mosques and other things that people realized there wasn't, you know, uh, I think there was a feeling of people coming together back then and I think that's the thing we have to do now is that uh, to realize that it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the color of your skin and, or your religion that drives those things, but extremism and, or those threats that do that. So I think uh, there's some lessons learned in that too that uh, unfortunately we have to relearn from time to time. So. Um, but I think it gives the opportunity for us to be uh, more resilient and more, repair, uh, more prepared as we go into the future for those things. So uh, thank you for those uh, thoughts and all your work today. Thank you. Thank you. And hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there is no objection, we are adjourned at 2.25 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>